Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and it is U.S. Labor Report Day. So that means Canada's hardest working economists probably been up since uh, three in the morning preparing. And then how, how many TV interviews have you already done today? <laughs> none, they, none, they, none, they, I actually don't no, do that many anymore. In any, in any event, I'm working hard, though. I'm working hard. This is not my first uh, speaking engagement of the day, let's just say. Th- there we go. That's what I thought, because this is this is still very early in the morning. And uh, he, he looks tired. Friends, I, I um, that's why I, I, I'm always glad sometimes when we when we do an audio uh, an audio podcast instead of instead of video, right? Right, oh, thanks, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 you you also uh, you 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 look like you're succumbing like uh, like everyone around the world to Denver Nuggets fever. Uh, my beloved Denver Nuggets uh, up one game to nothing already in the NBA Finals. Probably probably headed for a sweep. In an NBA championship, I'm uh, I'm I'm super excited. Eric. Gee, I, I guess I, I must say you have the most eclectic sporting interests of anyone I know. For a man who, in theory, lives in Toronto, there's Oregon, this, there's Denver, that. I, I'm losing track. Was Boston? I, I'm losing uh, track. St. You're, St. Louis you're, Blues. It's been uh, Blues. It's, it's, okay. It's been quite a run for the miserable franchises that I cheer for. The the, the once in fifty year championship is, is only good if you live to fifty. And fortunately, I've done that. So uh, <laughs> so away you go. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, I, but, I, I can cheer for Denver alongside you. That sounds just fine. Well, well, I, I, I'd appreciate that and uh, and get the family on board too. But uh, the other thing that is continues to be hot is that U.S. labor market. I mean, what do you make of you know another fantastic number this morning? I don't know. Go find the last podcast we did, and you can just play that again. I guess you know they they just stay pretty strong, don't they? Uh, yeah. So uh, I mean, it's I'm, I'm a broken record here. It's another good month of job creation. This is May. Uh, payrolls were up 339,000. Guess which side of consensus it was, Dave? No, no marks for guessing above consensus. I think that's mm, been like the only outcome think. for I think literally for for like 11 months or something. A very long period of time. 14 uh, of 17 officially. 14 of 17. Okay, just, so, so I'm, just, I'm you know, exaggerating. Yeah. Thank you. you maybe go. I should be interviewing you on this. I think you've done more no, prep than I, me, I, maybe. I, you, well, you know, it, it may seem like I arrive unprepared, but I, I, I actually do uh, read quite a bit. And so oh, I, I've got to try you. and keep right. up with you, Eric. I, we you sure? Leave. Okay, well, call me out on all my other mistakes too, please. Uh, so uh, in any event, so, so strong hiring, it, it was broad hiring as, as well. Um, you know, if, if you wanted to poke holes, and I, I'm loath to poke too many holes just because like that's the, the number is the number and that's the most important thing. Like companies were adding workers and that says something. Uh, you know, if you want to poke holes, I mean, there's the standard holes that are, you know, in other surveys, job openings are falling. In other surveys, the quits rate is down. In other surveys, the mass layoff numbers are inching higher. In other surveys, you know, jobless claims are tending higher as opposed to lower. So, like, we still think that there's room for labor market weakness out there somewhere, but it sure wasn't in the headline numbers. Um, if you wanted to quibble with this report, uh, in the report, uh, you could say, well, the unemployment rate did go up. So, it went up from okay. 3.4%, which is really low. That was, I think that's, you can correct me on this in a second, Dave, but I, th- I think that's the lowest we've seen in many decades uh, to, to uh, 3.7%. So 0.3 percentage point increase is kind of interesting. Now, let the record show that the unemployment rate number does not come from the payroll report where I was just quoting big job creation. There's a separate report. I guess the problem is if you ask businesses, how many unemployed people are they? They don't know. They only know how many people they've, they've hired. And That's so right. uh, you have to turn to a labor force survey, which canvases individuals in their homes, essentially. Uh, and so that one gets actually 
a lot of attention in many countries, including Canada, incidentally, but it, it's kind of a secondary one in the U.S. And that, that secondary survey, the household survey, actually says there were 310,000 jobs that got uh, destroyed uh, in the month of May. And so we either added 339,000 or shed 310,000, one or the other. So it was great or it was horrible. Uh, the household survey does tend to be bumpier. So I mean, pr- probably you want to put a little more weight on the good number, I guess. But uh, it is fair to say, and we, we had a conversation to this effect, I don't know, four or five months ago, maybe. Uh, and it is fair to say the household survey hasn't quite been keeping up. And again, not to say it's the better one, but there's a little bit of informational value in there. So I'm, I'm at least a little bit intrigued by that that softness that's there. And you know, one thing we, we pay really close attention to is the unemployment rate, because when it starts to rise, uh, usually it's hard to stop. Now, I, I think you know, one month isn't a trend and 0.3 isn't the, the, the threshold you need to, to trigger guaranteed recessions and things like that. You'd need to see a few more months of something like this. So let's let's wait on that. But uh, but nevertheless, you know, the unemployment rate does matter, even though it's coming from this this jumpier uh, survey. The, the other thing, I guess, that was, gee, I, again, good and bad depends on what you're looking for here. Like wage yes. growth slowed a little bit. And so, of course, not great for workers, um, maybe may good for inflation, maybe good for the sustainability of the recovery. So bottom line is wage growth did did decelerate a bit. It was still up. It was up 0.3, but was had been trending kind of 0.4 plus before that. And so year over year wage growth in the U.S. is down to 4.3%, which is pretty, pretty actually, I wouldn't say a tame number, but that's a number that you might occasionally have seen uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, so overall, though, it was a strong report, but with, with a couple uh, little wobbles hiding beneath the surface. Yeah, so just uh, just uh, again to, to to set the record straight, the uh, the unemployment got back down to where it was just before the uh, the pandemic during the uh, Trump administration. But then you got to go back to sixty nine to see unemployment that low. Uh, but you got me because I missed that unemployment number uh, the uh, this morning, and and that's really important because from a Fed perspective, and because they I, I've read a lot of things about the Fed. They, they they almost need to see that unemployment number tick up, and you 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 sort of alluded to that in in your comments. They need to see it tick up a little bit more, but but to really be assured that what they've done is enough, and that's where they can stop. Is there there any validity to that view? Um, yeah, it, it, it's a big one for sure, for sure. I yeah. mean, keep in mind, particularly in the U.S., you know, for. for the Fed, uh, their their mandate is explicitly two things, right? It's inflation and it involves the the labor market. And so this is not just uh, the labor market is a convenient proxy for economic slack, which a lot of central banks might say this is like this is our job also. And so uh, you know l- let the record show they look at a broad number of labor market metrics. It's not just the unemployment rate. A bunch of them still look fine, but uh, this is absolutely one that they do look at as well. And and so it it is it is trending the other direction. And you know it really speaks to. I I, I hope we get into this in a moment. But when I think about central banks right now, it is pretty wild. I mean, so the big story remains, and and let's not lose sight of this as we debate what the next move might be. But the big story is they went from a lot of stimulus to a lot of restraint, and the heavy lifting is probably done or mostly done. And so I think that's the big story. Uh, but uh, you know, the, the the littler story is what do they do next? And yes. you know, it, it, really, I, I don't I don't think it's completely absurd to suggest that there could be more tightening. That's a possible scenario given uh, given and inflation didn't totally cooperate in the latest reading in April and given some GDP prints that have been 
okay and, uh, and and so on. And so it's possible there could be a little bit more tightening. Um, it's certainly possible there could be a long stretch of, e- of, of steady policy, pardon me, so unchanged rates. You know, in fact, that's considered the more likely uh, action at the next decision or inaction at the next decision is to keep the rate unchanged. It, it could be there for a good while um, or, you know, might not be that far from rate cuts. If we actually get a recession uh, and it starts to show up in a couple of months and inflation is cooperating again, and we think maybe it will help a bit before too long. Um, it's not, I mean, you could basically pr- predict all directions and you're not a fool to say any of those things. So let's maybe the big conclusion then is there's a lot of uncertainty over the exact direction in the near term uh, in terms of what markets are pricing. And I, gee, I've got Canada in front of me now, but I had the U.S. a moment ago. And so the market really is debating between will there be a hike yeah, at that yes. next decision in the U.S. or will it be a pause? The cut is more of a speculation about later in the year, perhaps, or, or at a minimum 2024. Uh, and so right now we're thinking of a pause is a little bit more likely. And it's just that's kind of been the signaling we've gotten a bit more of from Fed speakers. And let the record know whether yes. You're at five and a half or five and a quarter or five for that matter. I mean, these things don't have a radically different effect on the economy, right? It's 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 not an exact science. It, it is more about reading the tea leaves of what policymakers are saying when you get down to the short strokes to mix my metaphors. And so uh, and so that that's the more important thing. And they're they're not being at all definitive on their needing to be more tightening. Uh, I wouldn't want to take you know one inflation print month and then run away with that because we get months that are good, we get months that are bad. It's been been bopping back and forth for quite a while. And so it might be a mistake to to, to make too rash a decision on, on that basis. And so we're, we're thinking pauses are a little more likely. I could probably believe a, a hike a bit more credibly in the US than Canada, the next decision personally. But anyway, I, I'm talking too long here. Uh, the bottom line is uh, the job numbers were uh, were pretty decent at the headline level. And, and we, we have this conversation every month. But, but again, I, I think it it, we, we, you know, you have a month more of data now, and and this report today, and and where is this most anticipated recession in the history of the world? I, I mean, it, it it's been sitting there. I I know as we've been out talking to to to, to advisors and clients, you know, we we would have thought that maybe we'd be in the midst of it now, or then then maybe the fall or. Is, is, there, answer, is there something I, I can, in the numbers that is saying that it's that it's here, or or is it still is it still out I, away, and we're we got to wait some more? Well, Dave, you didn't hold me to a particular country, and so I can say it's finally here uh, in Germany. Uh, so Germany did just record two quarters of decline. So I mean that that is interesting, though, right? I mean these are global yes. forces at work, and so the fact that one country did just tumble into at least a, a, a narrow, simple definition of recession is is notable. Uh, you know, w- when we look at the broader picture, the story all along has been one in which rates went up by a lot, and so there's a real headwind that emerges from that. And I think that argument, if anything, strengthened over the last few months, at least as we began to encounter banking stress in the U.S. And so I, I think that is certainly another, may, maybe the most compelling argument for a recession, yes. uh, maybe even within several months. I mean, we've seen lending standards tighten a lot yes. in a way that is historically always consistent with recession. Uh, in the U.S. specifically, the level of bank loans outstanding is now shrinking, which is not a totally normal state of affairs. And so that does suggest uh, that the, you know, the, it's not all talk. It's, it, it is translating into action to some extent. Uh, you know, the second quarter, so just for those who don't follow along, that's, you know, April, May, June, that's that's where we are, at least as we're recording this, Dave, uh, albeit towards the, the, towards the latter end. There's a lot of uncertainty over exactly what the U.S. economy has been doing in the second yeah. quarter. We, we were reviewing some of the, the, the smarter now casting models that are out there and, uh, and and just forecasts that are out there. I mean, you know, the Atlanta Fed, last I looked, and that's just a couple days ago, uh, was tracking almost 2% annualized growth for Q2. That would be a pretty 
pedestrian ordinary quarter. So that would argue definitely no recession there. Uh, however, you know, the blue chip consensus forecast, I guess it's a bunch of economists like me get polled and they're forecasting just 0.4% annualized growth, which is growth, but but meager. Uh, and then, oh gee, I'm forgetting now. I think it's the Cleveland Fed, but anyhow, another one of the district feds has their own GDP now cast that they've been trotting out and it's predicting a 0.3 percentage point decline, which would be, you know, in theory, maybe the start of a recession. So there's a real wide range of estimates and that is because there's a real wide range of economic outcomes right now. And so at the optimistic end, you see hiring that's still great, though, as we've discussed before, hiring is not a leading indicator. It tends yes. to be a lagging indicator. Um, we, we do see uh, you know, gl- global trade that is in decline now, which doesn't usually happen without a recession. Uh, we, we do see uh, business confidence and business expectations that are quite weak. In fact, I was looking small business expectations in the U.S. are now uh, weaker than they were at the worst of the pandemic in the spring of 2020, which is kind of hard to fathom. But at any event, they're, they're not expecting too much. And we just got the ISM manufacturing printout, which remains firmly in sub-50 territory. But to me, the big takeaway there was that the new orders component uh, really fell sharply further, and it's now kind of approaching recession kind of. Le- the manufacturing sector itself is already contracting, but but normally you need a deeper contraction of manufacturing to pull the whole shebang of the economy in. And so it's 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 getting a little closer to that. So, um, you know, so we, we still think it's coming. I, I will admit it's taking its sweet time, Dave. Uh, it's mm-hmm. been a frustrating experience for someone like me forecasting. It's been lovely, of course, in any sort of realistic yes. way, because nobody yes. actually wants a, a recession. Uh, but uh, we, we do still think think it's more likely than than not. And I'll be honest, you know, I, I think about um, if we don't get one, I don't know if we can control service sector inflation. Uh, and if we don't control service sector inflation, I don't think we get to sub 3% inflation. And I think there's your scenario where central banks suddenly, oops, there's another percentage point of tightening that we need to do. And, and so I don't think it's quite that it's therefore by definition, there has to be a recession because they'll just induce one later. Maybe it's probably not quite that cute. But nevertheless, if we don't get one, it's going to be a trickier journey to get service inflation in particular under control. And that's a that's an important objective for central banks. And that uh, listeners familiar with the uh, who, who listen to the podcast on a regular basis are familiar with sort of the analogy that I've been using uh, throughout COVID that uh, if you take a you're standing in a swimming pool, you've got a ball, right, a ball with some air in it. Um, and you take the ball and you push the ball down underwater and you hold it down underwater. That's what we did during COVID. We locked down the global economy. Then, of course, uh, government spend trillions of dollars. Uh, we uh, uh, we lower interest rates to zero. Uh, people stay at home, but we get we get. Uh, um, um, I, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on vaccines. On, uh, vaccines. Vaccine, that's yes, the word. There you go. Um, and then of course we learn to deal with it. So we release the ball, and the ball over. What happens when you do that in a swimming pool? Well, it overshoots the surface of the water. So that's our inflation, a supply chain, all those things. So now we need the, the ball to to get back down to the surface of the water, that normalization. And to do that, to take that extra energy out of the global economy, you've got to have a little bit of an economic slowdown. That's the that's why it's you know recessions, as you say, we never we're not certainly not looking forward to a recession, but you do need, as you suggest, some kind of a normalization in activity uh, to get the economy back on a, on a stronger footing. Uh, the one number that I, that, that I did see yesterday uh, or over the last week that um, is, is sort of indicative of, of perhaps where you could start to see some of that, uh, some of that, that just ball of energy come out of the, uh, the service sector 
uh, is credit card debt is starting to, to is peaking out again in um, in in the U.S. And, and Canada for that matter. So maybe just maybe the consumer is starting to run out of that excess cash right. um, and capacity from a credit perspective uh, that they had uh, coming out of COVID. And then of course credit card rates are at uh, at record highs as well with the increase in interest rates. So that takes a uh, a little bit of money out of people's pockets to to spend on those things. Although you know, I've I've been traveling much the last three or four weeks, and I, and I know you're on you're on planes too. They're all full, and uh, the fares are not cheap. So it's uh, it it it's it's hard to see that. But but the the, the Eric, just one 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 last thing uh, uh, around the um uh, around the reports and the, the the Canadian housing market has continued to be incredibly resilient. Does that give the Bank of Canada a little bit more space to to maybe you know tick it up one more time, or or does it really even matter if the, if the U because we're so dependent on on what's happening in the U.S. Would the Bank of Canada just be very happy if they don't have to do anything? Um, and the housing market is is sta- not ne- not nowhere near where it was you know a year and a half ago, but 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 fairly stable and calm. Right. Uh, well, I mean, I think the Bank of Canada's preference certainly is to keep the policy rate unchanged. They've been sort of signaling <laughs> as much. And of course, the more hiking you do, the more damage you do later. So the preference isn't to do too much. Um, it, it is fair to say there's a chance they do have to do more to the extent that, you know, Canada's also had a somewhat resilient economy and Q1 GDP came out and looked pretty good. Uh, and Canadian hirings held together mostly, though we're still waiting on the May number till next Friday uh, for Canada. Uh, but, but I guess the way I would think of it for the Bank of Canada is that the they would, I think they need more data. You know, even though inflation was a little higher than they hoped in April, even though GDP was a little faster than they hoped in, in the first quarter, we'll see what the job numbers bring. Housing, as you say, may be surprising them a little bit. Uh, they probably need several months to process that to ensure these are real trends. And so our thinking is if there's more tightening in Canada, it'd be more likely a, a fall affair. That, that That's our thinking, unless it really becomes truly quite urgent. We're still waiting on the full effects of the tightening. So there's a, a whole bunch of forces pushing in different directions right now. On housing, though, I mean, you're certainly right. Housing has, has re- rebounded. It, it's, by the way, not totally uniquely a Canadian phenomenon. The U.S. housing yes. has rebounded somewhat. I was just looking, and the U.K. isn't. Germany is. You know, there are other, some other places outside of North America, um, Australia, but New Zealand, I believe, are seeing a bit of a pop as well recently, and they often look a lot like Canada. Um, but on the Canadian side, so yeah, home prices are rising again. Resales are, are going up again. Uh, the debate becomes, uh, you know, where do we go from here? Is this for real? Is this a new leg of the housing market? And so optimists would point, I guess, to the recent rebound, first and foremost. Most, but they'd also point to the incredible immigration numbers in Canada and just a shortage of housing relative to to, to demand and prospective demand in the future. And so I think that's that's your your bull case. Uh, to me, the bear case, and I have a little more sympathy this way, uh, though I, I don't have precision on this one at all. The bear case is more just that affordability is so atrocious that you know there, there's very little precedent for a housing boom beginning from a place of awful affordability, and so you know it, it's still way offside. Uh, it may be a seasonal story if you ever going to get a seasonal pop in housing, the spring is when you get it. So uh, some of that may be the case. Uh, There is an artificial shortage of homes for sale. So homes for sale are really low. A lot of people still sitting on that, remembering how high prices were a few years ago and preferring not to move. And eventually they will need to move. And so we will, that we're starting to see perhaps that supply come onto the market. And so that that could change the the short-term supply demand equation in a way that doesn't quite support housing as much. But then we also did work just in the last few weeks and we said, okay, like what, what a historical developed world housing 
housing busts look like? How long do they last? And the median housing bust in the developed world is 6.6 years. Uh, And so like it's been one year so far. We did find one example where it was 1.3 years. So it's not completely impossible that was that, but it would be pretty unusual if if that was that. Uh, And maybe the way I'm tending to think of it is is actually the the Canadian experience uh, from the early 90s, which was you had a pretty sharp home price decline for one to two years. uh, And then you had sort of four or five years after that of what I would describe as a malaise. It just it, it was a weak market. You know, home prices went up a little. They went down a little. They certainly underpaced inflation. They underpaced personal incomes, you know, there was a net and a net loss, I guess, to homeowners. Uh, and it took a long time before the market really got cooking. And so I don't know if six years is the right number, but I would say I'm, I'm, I'm dubious that there's a real boom about to happen. Mortgage rates are still so high. Affordability is still so poor. Uh, but I, I, I do think perhaps we're through the worst of the decline. We're going to see a little bit of an increase in the spring. And I'm, I'm assuming we then revert to a, a, a flatter profile later. This, by the way, this matters a lot, Dave, because if, if I'm wrong and, and housing is off to the races and prices are up 15% a year from now, First of all, you don't get too many recessions during a housing boom. Now there's a debate of causality here because you could say yeah. equally if there's a recession, then the housing boom ends and you know it goes both ways in a very confusing way. Um, but 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 equally, you know, if home prices are rising, that's an inflation problem. Uh, and so like for, as a selfish economist who cares about his forecast, that throws all the forecasts off, first of all, both from an economic and an inflation perspective. And I guess you could say from a central bank perspective, which is again, you know, that's a scenario where you say, oh, this housing rebound persisted through the summer. The Bank of Canada is thinking this in September. I, I, I guess we need to go to five and a half instead of four and a half. And so they would need to do some more work. And, and again, I'm inclined to think that would then cool the housing market down and cool the economy down. But uh, there are a lot of moving balls right now. Uh, I, I think I think you can tell from my voice, but uh, maybe the most important takeaway from this chat we've had is just, it's a period of high uncertainty. It's high uncertainty sure. in the short run on the basis of like, do we get a recession? Does inflation keep cooperating? Uh, what is that next central bank action? Does housing bounce from here further? Uh, but it's also uncertain over the long run to the extent, you know, what is the normal interest rate coming out of all of this? I have my guesses, but it's a guess. Uh, what is the normal inflation rate coming out of all this? Is it two? Is it three? Is it something else altogether, uh, to, you know, to, to what extent are exciting new technologies going to change the normal productivity growth rate? That's a topic for another day, I think. But uh, high uncertainty is, is is absolutely part of the story. And it's part of the reason why, as, as investors, at least, we're, we're behaving a bit more cautiously, uh, happy to clip some coupons in the bond market and in cash. And, uh, and yes. it's not really a time to pretend that you've got it all figured out. Yeah, and and you know it, it's interesting. You mentioned the, the 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 difference between the UK housing market and then Canada US, and you think of of the impact of interest rate increases. They're almost immediate because of the structure of mortgage programs in in the UK versus Canada, where we've got a lot of people who are locked in at one and a half two percent from you know 2019, 2020, and 2021. So you're going to see those those long term mortgages roll off and then feel the effect of higher interest rates in the US, you can you can renegotiate your mortgage, lock it back down. So when you actually see that in the housing market, uh, take takes a little bit longer. But it it uh, it, it is interesting that uh, I, I, again, you this this resilience in the Canadian housing market, I think is just one of the most confounding things I've seen in 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 my life. And uh, well, I mean, the, the X factor in housing is always sentiment. And you know, Canadians have lived through uh, 
almost 20 year period in which home prices only did one thing and any decline was viewed as a buying opportunity and it wasn't really about the fundamentals and it just kept going and going and going and so the question we always had over the last year or so as as a housing bust finally uh, ensued was just how how materially would that change the underlying psychology and it, it it seems tentatively not that much is maybe the conclusion right now there are still hard and fast limits on what someone can afford to pay versus their income and things like that and and you know you make a great point which is just you know, even in Canada, which is less extreme than the 30-year lock-in in the U.S., yeah. but even in Canada, it takes a number of years for that effect to be fully felt. Don't don't pretend that the rate increases that have happened already uh, are already fully fully felt. That that will take. I mean, the classic stories it takes 18 months, but of course it takes longer than 18 months because you got the other three and a half years worth of mortgage holders in a Canadian context, and uh, and so it, it it takes quite a while for that that pain to be fully felt. And usually, I mean, and really, you think a couple of years out, and then this is I don't quite have a crystal clear view on what 2025 will look like. That's a little outside of my time range to be precise, at least. But, uh, you know, you, you can start to imagine some pretty huge, uh, you know, changes in the mortgage rate for people uh, relative to the, the incredible rates they would have locked in in, in 2020, 2021 in particular. A- absolutely. And 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 because the, the purpose of this podcast is education, we want people to to understand markets, understand economics better and and that's why again you do such a great job and Stu and the other guests we have in terms of breaking down really complex ideas into kind of you know simple everyday language that people can take away and actually use in their decision making but out of this whole conversation around housing if there's one thing I would like people to learn is as housing prices did drop over the last year nobody was rushing out to sell their house when it might have been down 10 or 15 percent on paper but people sell stocks and bonds when that happens and i wish they would have the same behaviors with their stock portfolio as they have with their uh, real estate portfolio that when things are down it's a buying opportunity but i digress that's uh that that's that's been my, the 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 focus of my whole career and uh, i guess that will will continue for a little while longer uh, as uh, but but I, I I like to buy when things are down. Eric, uh, always a great conversation, and uh, re- really really enjoy these uh, these uh, U.S. Uh, uh, um, labor market report days because because uh, we get a chance to chat, and it's uh, you you always have incredibly interesting stuff to say. So thanks, Eric. Oh, you're so kind. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management Inc for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.